O Almighty God, who alone canst order the unruly wills and affections of sinful men, grant unto thy people that they may love the thing which thou commandest and desire that which thou dost promise, that so among the sundry and manifold changes of the world our hearts may surely there be fixed, where true joys are to be found, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Come on in. Um, that uh, that prayer talks about the uh, the sundry and manifold changes of the world, and I've mentioned in uh, previous classes that often, in terms of statements of faith uh, in the Christian church, we're responding to, um, uh, as Paul says in his epistles, false teaching. And, uh, and so a lot of statements of faith are incomplete in that they're responding to what are the hot-button hot issues of the day. And remember, I said the creeds were responding in the early church to a certain thing. The 39 Articles of Religion and Anglicanism were responding to a couple different um, popular teachings that were problematic. But sometimes those things fall flat on our ears in 2016 because uh, they're not necessarily responding to the stuff that we encounter. And so I asked Cameron to come in today to talk about uh, particularly uh, something that I hope we'll get into called moralistic therapeutic deism, uh, which I hope you all memorize. Um, uh, which is based on some, some current research. But what that means, especially as he encounters uh, the world with respect to youth ministry, uh, and, and the youth often in terms of uh, what um, they articulate in faith is sort of a, lit, a good litmus test for what's out there in the world because they're imbuing the culture that we all live in. I mean, they're really parroting what we're saying. They're learning it from us, either for for good or for ill. And I'll say one more thing before Cameron comes up. If this is your first time here, I'm so glad you're here. Even if you missed the first two classes, that's totally fine. These kind of stand alone. I hope you'll you'll come back, consider that. Uh, if there's a class upcoming that um, is competing with this one that you'd more like to go to because the title sounds intriguing, I t we totally won't be offended. Sort of come as you, as you uh, please. We got a late start today because of the service. I hope you don't mind. We're going to go, let's go till 1055 if that's okay, unless, unless you really need to jet. And if some of you need to leave early, we won't, uh, we won't think anything of it. Cameron. Thanks. Okay. Oh. Yo, I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Um, I just have to tell you, if you're visiting, uh, it's just an honor for us that you're visiting our church. And um, I know it's just not easy to come to a place where you no, no, may not know no, no, a lot no, no. of people. And it's kind of awkward, and people standing out in the you know the foyer over there or the you know the fellowship hall. You know, they kind of have their little clicks. You know, so it's every, you know no one ever progresses in high school, right? You know, uh, the, the girls form their little insulated little circle, and they talk, and no one's going to be let in. I, I know this because I've been working with teenagers for uh, most of, more than half of my life. Um, I forgot and, to give you, know, you this. It's uh, it's it's kind of um, we never really progress from that. So I, I just appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you like taking a chance with us and stepping out of your comfort zone, and we hope um, we hope that we can do everything we can to first off make you feel welcome, but secondly that every time you come to church here that you leave with hope, you know, with a, a sense of hope as you go into your life and a, uh, a sense that you know God genuinely cares about you and is interested in your life. Um, I uh, I'm going to talk about you know what fosters lifelong faith. 
Um, I am, I'm a youth minister. I'm the director of Children, Youth, and Family. Uh, I primarily work with senior high students. Uh, it's like 75% of what I do, and then I work with parents, probably another percentage of that. Um, but I am personally extremely passionate about um, kids having sustainable faith uh, for a couple of reasons. First off, I grew up in a situation where Christianity was pre- presented to me as uh, just another mode of performance. Um, I grew up in a performance culture. I was a suburban kid, and um, I, you know, I think my when I was an eight-year-old, my summer was two swim practices a day, golf clinic every day, and two baseball practices a day, like as an eight-year-old. My senior year of high school was five AP classes, teaching myself an additional AP class, swimming six days a week at least three hours a day, uh, and then I had three leadership offices at the school. So I basically went from like five in the morning with swim practice until, um, until like 11.30 or 12 at night. I hardly slept. And um, I was like on my resume, I had plenty of friends, I had a lot of success, I had good grades and all that kind of stuff. Um, Had, you know, a a decent family, no tragedies. I was an absolutely miserable person. I I was from Birmingham and particularly Mountain Brook, so I had to smile all the time, right? So on the outside, I looked like, you know, things were together, but really I was a miserable kid. And my church experience just was another place of, de- of, of demandingness, another place where the, the whip was cracked. Don't drink, don't have premarital sex, don't smoke. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. I'm, I advocate all those things, but that was all it was. All it was was rules, pressure, perform morally. That, that was Christianity to me. Um, and so, uh, so then when I was like 22, and I was about, I was literally, like, medically speaking, on the verge of a nervous breakdown. That's the first time I really heard, like, the gospel of grace. That uh, my pastor said to me, um, he said, because the whole performance thing just, like, continued. Um, my, he said to me, you know, Cameron, I do believe that you're a Christian, uh, but I don't believe you have any idea what the gospel is. <laughs> he said the gospel is actually rest. Um, the gospel means that Jesus carries the burden of your life. And the gospel means that um, you'll never have to prove yourself again. He says, best I can tell, um, you perform all the time. And you are constantly trying to impress people. And he's like, you can actually, um, you know, I, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but I did, I, I was like, I finished my master's degree when I was 21. And I went to, went to Wake Forest and did my master's degree there too. And he said, and this was earth shattering for me, you can work at the Cracker Barrel for the rest of your life. And that's okay. And uh, he's like, Jesus has set you free to work at Cracker Barrel. And uh, given the trajectory of my life, that was like the most earth-shattering possibility I had ever considered. And so I uh, went from there, and I, I, I went to work at Johnny Rockets as a uh, statement of my freedom in Christ. <laughs> but anyhow, that's just to say part of it is, part of the reason I'm really passionate about kids having sustainable faith is I want them to follow Jesus and be faithful to the church for the rest of their life because they genuinely love God. And they genuinely love God because they understand how deeply he cares for them as evidenced by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. And they, they know that pretty much uh, most of the context of their life, they're being used, um, they're, they're being uh, you know, kind of whipped, 
that in Christ they have someone who loves them and accepts them apart from their performance. And so I want them, and that is the only person in the world. That is the only person in the world who loves and accepts us apart from our performance. I'm a parent. I should be a good parent, right? Because I write articles about parenting and stuff like that. I'm supposed to lead parents. I'm just going to tell you, like, there are strings attached to my love for my children. I wish I could say that I love my kids unconditionally, but there's just the reality that when my daughter's behaving really well, I just have this special feeling about her. And when she's being really, really sassy and throwing, you know, 12 Chernobyl caliber tantrums a day, I am just not feeling the love, right? And so, uh, so you know, uh, no, no one in the world loves you the way that Jesus does. There's only one person who loves you apart from your performance. The second reason I'm passionate about it is I know, and I just know life is really, really hard. Um, we, you know, if you work in a church, you kind of see all of the brokenness of um, people's lives kind of wash up on the shore. I've had plenty of children whose uh, parents have died. While I've been a youth pastor and, you know, seen that firsthand, I've seen lots of kids either struggle with addiction uh, or have, live in homes where their parents struggle with addiction. I've had plenty of kids who uh, have made it known that they've been sexually abused during their life. Um, I myself have struggled with depression. I also have had my oldest child died three years ago. So, I mean, we all know in this room that life is really, really, really hard. And, um, and so I believe that uh, knowing the goodness of God, knowing the sovereignty of God, knowing his plans and purposes to redeem the entire world, like that is something that can give you hope that can take you through anything. And so knowing um, that with those two things, that's why I'm like so, 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 so into youth ministry. So into just thinking about the spiritual lives of young people from, you know, from the time they're born to the time they leave. And so, so with that being said, um, uh, sorry, and the last thing too, I would say is I just, I would say that the single best thing in my life is my relationship with Christ. Um, and that sounds very like youth groupy, but, uh, but it's just true. I mean, I've, I've had a really, I've, I've had some tough things, but I've had a really good life. I mean, I've had a really, really good life. I traveled internationally six times by the time I was in the seventh grade. That's a pretty posh deal. I am the person, I am the person who just, just happens to get invited to sit in the skybox at the football game. I just am really lucky like that. I mean, and, 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 and anyhow, but with all that being said, like, nothing touches the, um, nothing touches, like, the joy and the sense of peace and the sense of purpose and meaning I have just living with Jesus every day. Um, you know, I even have, like, a really, really cute, nice-looking wife who's really sweet and really good-looking kids. I'm telling you, like, that is not nearly as satisfying as Christ. So that's another reason I'm really into it. But I'm going to um, talk really fast because we have about 20 minutes. Um, but I, what I want to talk about a little bit is, uh, you know, our hope with our church, with our young people, is that we will form kids who have sustainable faith, um, faith that will last. That's really the purpose of a youth ministry. And I was going to ask, um, I was going to ask you guys to kind of chime in with your historic stereotypes of, like, what youth ministry looks like or ask you too about the purpose of, of like what is a church's purpose as it as it pertains to the spiritual well-being of kids and you know I'll just kind of answer this questions for you most people their experience with youth ministry is fun and games chubby bunny dodgeball um, youth ministers doing absurd stunts to try to get kids to come like swallowing live goldfish and that kind of stuff um, and then the message is usually moralistic it's usually um, centers around uh, sexual abstinence, underage drinking, 
uh, generally being nice, being respectful to your parents, and that's generally the message. There's very little, very little, you know, doctrinal depth or biblical depth. Um, I know you guys didn't grow up in the United States. It's youth ministry is like a um, it's like a rules pep rally or like a, a, a rules rally. I, I, <laughs> and um, and anyhow, so so that's kind of the stereotype. And it might stun you that uh, to find out the youth ministry is incredibly ineffective. Historically, it's been incredibly ineffective at forming kids with lasting faith. Um, youth ministry is a new field. Uh, it really you know has its origins in the 1950s. It was a reaction to the Nazi movement in Germany. They saw how the Nazis kind of captured the um, the attention of young people, and people in this country were very afraid that communists could do the same thing with kids. And so they're like, we need to leverage the young people for good. And so that's where that's kind of a part of where youth ministry came from. There's some other factors, but that's kind of an interesting uh, historical note there. But uh, but anyhow, and so around the turn of this century, uh, people started to ask the question. Is this really working? Like, is youth ministry really effective, right? You know, churches had dumped tons of money into youth pastors and these programs, and we got to build a youth room, and da 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 da. da. And so uh, there were a bunch of you know national studies on uh, church retention, like were kids who were coming out of youth ministries actually attending church, did they actually profess faith in Christ? And um, they found that. Uh, when you kind of put all the numbers together, that the church had about a 30 to 35 percent success rate. Yes, so that is a 70 or 65 to 70 percent failure rate. That's good if you're a major league baseball player, but anything else, you get fired for for being successful 35 percent of the time. And so people were really surprised, like they were stunned to find out that uh, churches were very ineffective at forming uh, disciples forming kids of lasting faith. So then the second round of research is people were like, why? Like, why is this happening? Why are kids not sticking? And so, um, and so, the, and this research was not done by like the Podunk Bible College in rural Indiana. Like this was UNC Chapel Hill, Princeton, Oxford out of England, and, and Fuller Theological Seminary. Those were like the four hubs for this research. And they found that there were three primary factors in why kids were not sticking. Um, the first was churches were doing a very poor job of uh, equipping and educating parents and spiritually leading their kids. Um, you know, in the way that in American culture, there's kind of this outsourced culture with kids, like, okay, for sports, let's send them to Little League. For music, let's send them over to you know, the, the piano teacher or the guitar teacher. For intellectual development, we're going to send them to school or to the tutor. And so churches were kind of you know, basically creating a similar kind of culture, like, hey, for your kid's spiritual life, you know, just send them on down and we'll take care of them. And so parents were not given tools by the church and they weren't even, I mean, a lot of parents didn't even know. I'd say most parents don't know that biblically, like, they're the primary spiritual influence in their kid's life. Um, if they, you just learned that here today, don't feel ashamed. This is just lesson number one. But anyhow, and so, and so anyhow, um, and so basically that was the first factor is that parents um, weren't particularly involved in their kid's spiritual life because it was, and it's the church's fault. A lot of people on the youth ministry side or the church side want to be like, it's the parents, they're not doing their job. I'm like, uh, it's the stupid church's fault for not ever telling parents about their job or doing anything to help them. Like, that's our job, that's our fault. So that's factor number one. The second factor was kids were segregated from the life of the church from birth 
to the time they graduated from high school. So think about it. Most kids, they go to the nursery, they go to Children's Chapel, then they go to like, some churches have like youth worship. I don't know if anyone grew up in a church that has youth worship. But um, basically, that's during the worship service, like where we have, you know, kids from age like third grade up, all in there with the adults. Some churches, like, they, they just kind of like just have a separate service for the kids. Like, they don't want to be in here anyway, right? And so what would happen is kids would finish high school, they'd go out into the real world, or they'd go to college, they'd show up at a church, and they had never had any experience in a religious setting uh, interacting with people outside of their generation, whether that was, uh, you know, the, the older person, or that was, like, the breastfeeding mom who had the crying kid, or whatever it was. They just felt awkward, and so they just, you know, wouldn't, they just wouldn't attend church. So that was, that was a factor. However, the predominant factor, by, I mean, far and away the dominant factor, was the theology of youth ministry, um, which one of the books about this is called Almost Christian. It's about the theology of American teenagers. They call it Almost Christian because what kids believed, uh, you know, Christian kids believed spiritually was almost Christian, but not really. Um, and so... So basically, uh, there were two major studies. One was the National Study on Youth and Religion, and one was a study from Fuller uh, Theological Seminary. And uh, the National Study on Youth and Religion, they did um, like survey interviews with 3,000 kids, and then they did uh, 330-minute interviews where they just asked a kid, tell me about your religious beliefs. They just tell me what you believe. And so as they were collecting the data uh, in this study, they found that... Um, Kids, their theology is what you call moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD. And so basically, when you know to break that down, they understood Christianity first as uh, just uh, a set of rules, a set of behaviors. The, the Fuller study referred to it as the Jesus jacket, um, which means like, okay, what I've learned Christianity is is when I'm in certain settings. I put on certain codes of behavior. It's my Jesus jacket, right? I say certain things. Um, I smile. I don't do certain things. But basically, I just understood it as a set of behavior, uh, a set of rules. Secondly, therapeutic um, means basically kids understood Christianity as um, something that generally was about them. It was about their emotional experience. It was about their self-esteem. Uh, you know, the... The, you know, the kingdom of God or the glory of Jesus or, or your neighbor laying down your life for your neighbor, that wasn't on the radar. Um, and then finally, deistic, they saw God um, not as like someone who is living and active, ever-present in your life. I mean, in Christianity, we believe that when a person becomes a Christian, that God actually dwells in them through the Holy Spirit. Like, Jesus Christ dwells in their soul. We dwell in the soul of Christ in heaven. It's a mystery. You don't understand it, but it's what we believe. And we believe God is always with us, and we believe that God is like ordaining every second of our life. Like He is using it for our redemption, to change us into people who are more like Jesus. He's using it for the purpose of the redemption of the whole world. And yet, they saw God as someone who is basically like 911, like an ambulance. Basically, if you have a problem... Call God, and he will come. He will bail you out of jail. He'll come visit you in the hospital. He'll come see you in the principal's office. But otherwise, like, God is, you know, the CEO at the top of the building, and we're just out here living our lives, right? Totally disconnected. And so um, so the five major beliefs within moralistic 
therapeutic deism that they identified as like the predominant trends here were one, all world religions are basically the same, which like that is just factually false. Um, I just, you know, their uh, comparative religion was kind of a fad in the in the 80s and the 90s in the academy, and it's just kind of gone bankrupt because you, you like Christianity is just not like other religions, and other religions are just different. Like the view of God and Islam versus Buddhism and all that kind of stuff is just different. And so, um, but anyhow, they believe that all world religions are basically the same. Moral choices are dependent upon what makes you happy. So, you know, moral relativism. So basically, like, there's no, it's not like God has given us his law. It's not like there are certain things that are just wrong. Like, stealing is wrong. <laughs> Cheating is wrong. You know, it's just, it's always wrong. They, you know, basically, moral decisions were dependent upon uh, what makes me happy in the moment. So if, you know, I'm, I'm married and it makes me happy to, you know, go sleep with this woman while I'm on a business trip, then the, and within the moral framework of a kid raised in the church, keep in mind, this is not, these are not secular kids. These are religious, American religious teenagers. That was totally, that was totally, you know, that's totally what they, they had learned, learned, I guess, I guess you'd say from the church or just kind of, I don't know, I, that's what they believed. We'll say that. Um, third, they believe that the overall purpose of Christianity is my personal happiness and my self-esteem. Um, and then, uh, let's see here, God is not actively involved in our lives unless we have an emergency and good people go to heaven. So if, you know, if you, I don't know, I know if some of you, uh, you know, maybe coming to church is new to you and you don't have a tremendous amount of knowledge about Christian theology, but like these things are like diametrically opposed to, to Christian Christian theology, like what, what has been presented to us in the Bible. And so, um, so anyhow, uh, so this was, this was kind of the issue. <laughs> and then um, the, let's think here. Yeah, so, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense if you think about what their religious experience had been. Their religious experience generally, and anybody here, like, can you raise your hand if you, like, grew up as a youth groupie kind of kid? You were kind of a youth groupie kind of kid. You were kind of a youth groupie. You're, 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 I know you were a youth groupie. Um, <laughs> Anyhow, it basically was you show up and there'd be some kind of game and there'd be something entertaining and then it would be the talk with like, you know, the rules. And then they would, they would play emotionally driven songs to basically try to get you to follow the rules until next week, right? Like, okay, if we just play light the fire well enough, then no one's going to have premarital sex this week. So come back next week so we can play the song again so you won't do it again. Okay? And so anyhow, so with all this being said, like when we think about the children in our church um, and we are thinking about our desire that they would have a lifelong relationship with Christ, that they would have, you know, uh, they would have a committed relationship with the church, um, we keep in mind this research and we also keep in mind what the Bible says about how we are to minister to people, particularly children. And so with our youth ministry, um, we have uh, kind of like five tenets, uh, or sorry, six tenets that we, we reinforce. Um, the first and the most important to us is gospel centrality. And by the way, as we think about these, we're always thinking about specific moments in a, in a person's life that we are pre- preparing them for. So gospel centrality, what this means is if nothing else, we want every kid to leave our church understanding that Christianity is first about what Jesus has done for them and second about what we do in response to that. We want kids to know that 
the overarching message of Christianity is that God loves sinful people, loves broken people because of what Jesus did on the cross. Okay, There is unconditional love for broken people who screw up a lot. We want them to know that. So to give you a sense of how I reinforce that, uh, in my Bible studies, every single week, I say, hey guys, what is the gospel? What does that mean? They say, good news. What's the good news? And they say, God loves sinners, or you know, something along those lines. And so uh, I know that kind of sounds like indoctrination, but for crying out loud, if we're going to get one thing right, that's it. <laughs> okay? So here's the interesting thing. Uh, sadly, in the, in the Fuller study, they found that when asked to define the gospel, only 35% of the kids define the gospel as what God has done for them in Christ. 65% of them define the gospel, the good news, as we need to be good people for God. That's tragic. Like That's absolutely tragic. Because we know that every kid is going to have a moral failure. It's going to happen. You know, They're going to get a DUI, or they're going to get a minor in possession, or you know, they're going to get caught cheating, or something's going to happen. Like, If it hasn't already happened, you know, which it probably has, um, it's, it's down the road. And it can be really, really bad. It can be really bad. And, you know, if they don't know that they can turn to God, like, in those moments, then it's just, I mean, it's all over but the shouting, right? We want them to know in their moral failure, when they're sitting waiting for someone to bail them out of jail, that, like, this this does not deter God's love for them. does not break God's love for them. So that's the first thing. By the way, one of the top two or three scholars on this, her name is Kara Powell. She was asked by Christianity Today in a November 2014 article about what what do you think is the number one indicator of whether a kid will stick with Christ for the long haul. And she said, if I had to boil it down, I'd say their clarity on the message of grace, their clarity on the gospel. So bring it home. So if you're a parent, remind your kids what the gospel is. Secondly, um, the second, our, our second point of emphasis, we have five minutes. It's 10.50 BT dubs. Um, no uh, you can just hang out. You can just hang out afterwards if you have questions and answers. Um, uh, second, theological depth through biblical teaching. Um, you know, it's so interesting how in like high schools, kids take incredibly difficult things. Like kids are taking five years of a foreign language. They're approaching fluency in French or in Spanish. But for whatever reason in church... Uh, you know, historically, we've we've taught teenagers like they're in the second grade. You know, like you can do uh, BC physics at the local high school, but you know, we're not gonna. We would never think about you know teaching you anything with any kind of sophistication at church. Well, that does not help kids. It doesn't help kids at all. And I'm not saying that we're you know running like a a seminary with you know with with 12 year olds. What I am saying is, you know, a kid needs to have a basic biblical worldview. You know, because here's the thing, they're going to go to college, they're going to have an atheist philosophy professor who's going to try to talk them out of their faith, or there's going to be a kid on their hall who took debate and thought it was fashionable to read all the neo-atheist Dawkins stuff, and they're going to they're going to be given arguments that, you know, most of them are not prepared for. And so we want kids to, to be able to... Oh, also, too, like, they're going to have a tragedy. Like, they're going to get the call that someone's been diagnosed with cancer or that a friend from high school has died in a car accident. Like, it's going to happen. And so they need a they need a uh, intellectual framework with which to walk through those moments and to say, okay, God is good. Like, the world is broken, and, um, and there will be a day when it's not. 
and um, I don't understand this, and I've been taught that I can cry out to God and tell him I don't understand this, but I do know that God's good because of the cross. Anyhow, you can see working through a moment like that. So anyhow, that's uh, that's theological depth through biblical teaching. Three, relational discipleship. Like You can teach kids all this stuff all day long if you don't have someone who's in their life walking with them, understanding their situation, and helping them understand how those things connect with their actual life as a 7th grader or a 12th grader or someone going to college or someone who's a young adult. It's just not going to be very effective. Like We're meant to walk uh, through life together with people. Uh, For family partnership, um, we uh, are just trying really, really hard. We've been trying for about six years to do everything we can to equip parents to invest spiritually in their child's life. Um, we have the Faith and Family class over in the Diocese Conference Room. We probably have nine to 12 sessions a semester, and that's just people, you know, giving giving parents tools to invest in their kids spiritually. Something, sorry, and I know we don't, we're not, we're, I don't want you to get the idea that if you're a parent, that you have to like be like one of the pastors and know everything and be teaching your kid, you know, exegetically through Habakkuk and getting into the nitty gritty of the Hebrew. We're not saying that at all. Encouraging study. Someone went through the research um, to like kind of identify which groups were struggling the most. And they found that in a, in a, a family where, this is going to get dangerous because this is a statistic, but uh, in a family where the family goes to church on average twice a month or more, and the parents have basic Orthodox Christian evangelical beliefs um, that the kid has like a 73% chance of sticking with the church. Obviously, that's not a formula. We, we all know dysfunctional families where the kids are like Christian rock stars. And we also know like the finest Christian parents in the world who, you know, all their kids are like running away from the church. I don't, I don't mean to give you the idea that if we just, just okay, everybody, go to church twice a month and uh, read through the creeds and we're all good, right? I don't want to say that. But I am just saying that it's not like, it's not like uh, basically church attendance is good and reminding your kids of the gospel is good and praying every meal is great. By the way, if you need to go, I've got one minute left. If you need to go to get to 11 o'clock, you're not gonna, I'm, I'm not going to feel like I just offended you. Um, and the last thing is community. Like, Here's the thing, uh, and this is, uh, it's, just, it's really frustrating. I, I work in a ministry called Rooted, and we try to equip um, churches to do gospel-centered youth ministry. That's kind of the term for what we do. And um, there are uh, youth pastors who are trying to do this, and their senior pastors like, no, 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 no. We don't want to be like school. You know, like, just don't, don't teach them the Bible and just make, do lots of fun stuff. And we're like, look, guys. It ain't 1985 anymore. You know, Atari is, is, you know, at the thrift store. The world is so much more entertaining today than it was 20 years ago. I mean, kids can watch Netflix on their phone in class. Like, there's a window where the kids were ahead of the school, and we had kids who would tell us. They would, like, put their phone in a textbook, and they would watch, like, Grey's Anatomy in class. Okay? I'm just telling you, there is no chance in the world that I can be more entertaining than a GameCube or a PlayStation or Netflix or Snapchat or Instagram. Like, it's just not going to happen. If we're trying to beat the world based on entertainment, we're going to fail miserably. And so we just say, well, we're going to beat the world with what we can, and that's, uh, that's you know, really um, intimate relationships and meaning and sincerity and purpose and hope and joy and peace like that's what we're going to offer and so uh kids of this generation they're interested in belonging 
they're interested in being a part of a group. That's true universally, but there's actually a little bit of a sociological shift such that kids used to identify themselves in terms of confidence. Now they uh, identify themselves in terms of belonging and connectedness. And so we have to foster community. That's, a, that's kind of a biblical thing. I'm going to stop there. Um, I, uh, I'll pray for us. And if anyone wants to hang out in Q&A, I have plenty of time. Before you pray, uh, I've been asking each teacher to recommend one book. Did you think of Yeah. Um, topic? And I, I brought in a couple of the resources you referred to, if you didn't have that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gospel-centered youth ministry. Um, no. You just read a book called Gospel-centered <laughs> <laughs> I would say the for just the introduction of that is is um, I, I read, <laughs> but it kind of captures this in broad strokes. When you, when you get into the nitty gritty of the other chapters, it's like you don't need to know how to plan a retreat. Um, uh, I would say Sticky Faith, Sticky Faith for parents. Um, Kara Powell and Chap Clark are the authors of that, and uh, that's a good that's a good book. It's practical. It outlines a lot of stuff I've talked about. Um, I'll tell you another one, if you're just interested in this topic overall, is Almost Christian. Almost Christian by Kenda Creasy-Dean. She's uh, from Princeton. Uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's a little, a little, it's practical, a little more on the academic side. Um, sticky face, a little more on the practical side, but anyhow, those are two sticky I would recommend. Sticky face, Almost Christian. Next week, if you come, Brandon Bennett, who's our young adult and college minister, <laughs> is going to teach on the nature of God, um, so it's time to help us understand the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, I hope you'll come to that. Why don't you say a prayer? Oh, sounds good. Um, dear Lord, uh, thank you for each person who is here. Thank you, Lord, that before the foundation of the world, um, that you had uh, plans and purposes and you had care for their life. And um, I pray this week, Lord, that we would be at rest and at ease. And we would also, Lord, um, we'd be attentive to the needs of others because we just see how deeply interested you are in our lives and how much you care for us. I ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.